Well, it is great to not be alone in church on a snowy day, isn't it? It's good to see you. Are you awake, though? I'm a little, I'm a little concerned that you've just glazed over because of the snow. Let me ask you a question. If you believed, and I mean you really believed, that you had a billion-dollar idea, How willing, how, how willing would you be to fail? In fact, how, how many times would you be willing to fail in order to see that idea come through? Would you be willing to fail once? Some of us, we would say, that's it, I tried, that's it. And we, we would, we, some of us would give up. Would you be willing to fail five times? To fail ten times? There's a guy that every one of us here has heard of. And he had this idea. This idea was for a character that he had created. And he needed money to finance it. You might have recalled this character's name. In fact, you, you probably at one time in your life have had a replica of this character in your home. But he went to the bank 300 times. His character's name is Mickey Mouse. 300 times, how many times would you be willing to fail? There's a guy that created a vacuum cleaner. 300 times would have been a cakewalk for this guy. 5,126 times he failed to create a bagless vacuum. I've I, I've owned several Dysons. I, I mean, you know, I mean, thank goodness that the guy hung in there and he created bagless vacuums for all of us. <laughs> There's another guy. He created a little thing called a light bulb. Ten thousand attempts. Somebody asked him about failure. He said, I haven't failed. He said, I've simply found 10,000 ways that don't work. It's easy to look at successful people and forget how hard it was for them to get there. Some of the world's most impactful people have suffered significant setbacks in their life. Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States, failed twice in business before becoming the president. Lost eight elections before he became president. Suffered the death of a fiance and himself had a major mental breakdown in his life. All before becoming 
probably the most impactful president in our nation's history. Maybe you've been dealing with failures in your life, setbacks. And you've asked yourself, how can I rebuild after my setback? I want to look at some biblical history this morning. Some old biblical history. And I think that it's going to be helpful for us. So in 605 B.C., at that time, Israel was divided into two nations, the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel. And the nation of Judah was much smaller, and it was defeated by a king known as Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, and he ruled his country for 43 years. He was one of the most powerful kings that ever lived. And many of these people in Judah were taken captive. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar decided that he was going to take the smart ones, that he was going to take the wealthy ones, and he would exile them back to his country. And it wasn't just 10 miles down the road. It wasn't Scandia, okay? It was 5,600 miles to his capital. And so he took them. You remember the story of Daniel? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were part of that exile. He took the best of the best. In fact, he only left the the poor and the uneducated there in Judah to sort of live in the area. By 586 B.C., the walls of Jerusalem had been destroyed. The temple itself had been destroyed. We read about it in Chronicles chapter Second uh, Chronicles chapter thirty six and verse nineteen. It says they set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. That gives you an idea of what was happening then in Judah and the surrounding area in Jerusalem, the walls, the temple. It gives you an idea of what things were like. Things were broken down. There was failure everywhere you looked. The smartest, the best, were all gone. Now, the temple, Solomon's temple, had stood for 410 years before Nebuchadnezzar's armies tore it down. I want you to remember that that was the place where God's presence physically dwelled on the earth. Inside the temple, there was a a room called the Holy of Holies, and inside the room was something called the Ark of the Covenant, which many, many, uh, you know, we think of Indiana Jones, right? (laughs) Some of you are laughing right now. Indiana Jones showed the, uh, 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 you know, what their depiction was of the Ark of the Covenant. And between the two angels on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, there dwelt a cloud, and in that that cloud was the very manifest presence of God on the face of the earth. And Judah and Israel, their, their enemies knew that it was powerful. They knew that their God was different. 
And all of a sudden, that place was torn down. All of a sudden, after 410 years, and now for 70 years, the land was in Sabbath. The land rested, the Bible says. The walls, the temple were in ruins. Many of its people, over 5,000 miles away from home, And then we read the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 30, verse 3. He said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their ancestors to possess, says the Lord. This is God's promise to rebuild. Now, some of you know what rebuilding is all about. Because you've bought a home that needed to be rebuilt. You bought a car that needed to be rebuilt. You understand what that takes. By 539 BC, Babylon is now not even in charge. Babylon is not even ruling this part of the world anymore. A guy named Cyprus, who's the king of Persia, has defeated Babylon. And in 537, King Cyrus makes his own proclamation. Found in Ezra chapter 1 and verse 2, it says this. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Imagine the joy. This morning, you might be in need of a rebuild in your life. Let's take some things that we can learn from the rebuilding of the temple and let's see if we can apply some of that to our lives. First, let me point out this, that when we're in need of a rebuild, there may appear to be no hope whatsoever. If you were rebuilding a house rebuilding a car, there could be a point in that process where you say, this is beyond help. Are you with me? Huh? Yeah, that kitchen that you thought would be a great idea. Yeah. And your wife saw these ideas on Pinterest. We're going to blow out that wall, honey. That wall right there. No, there's nothing in there at all. And it's not load-bearing. You get a great idea that you're going to do something with that car that's never been done before. It doesn't matter. You know you can do it. And then you tear it apart. And it's on the garage floor for 12 years. There felt like there was no hope in Judah. Because the temple... And the city walls had been in ruins for 70 years. There was no possible way to rebuild it because their best and their brightest had been exiled. They had been taken to Babylon for 70 years. They don't even remember what home was like. 
or they're dead and gone. The finances, the resources, the ability to rebuild the wall is gone. It seemed like there was no hope. While Nebuchadnezzar was in charge, this powerful military king was in control. They couldn't even if they wanted to. They couldn't even if they had the resources. Peter reminds us of something. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, he said, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. It would have been easy for Judah to lose hope, except for one little thing. Isaiah or Ezra, rather, chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word the Lord spoke, to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of King Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. The truth is that. God holds the heart of the king. You see, Cyrus defeated Babylon, and God moved in his heart. So 70 years, nothing had happened, and then bam, all of a sudden, God begins to move. You may feel like you need to rebuild your family. You may feel like you need to rebuild your marriage. You may feel like you may need to rebuild your career, or your sobriety, or your relationship with God. And it may appear that there is absolutely no hope. And then, bam, God comes on the scene. And God has promised. And God is not slow in keeping his promises. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, the writer of Hebrews says this, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain whenever our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. So let me ask you this question. What are you waiting for but have no hope that you will receive? What is it? What rebuild are you waiting for? I'm waiting for a hydraulic pump. I am. I have my eye on a log splitter. But the log splitter needs a hydraulic pump. And it's been ordered like six months ago, and they keep pushing the date back further and further and further. And I feel like there's no hope. So I'm on Marketplace, <laughs> searching and searching and reaching out to people that are seven hours away because maybe this is the one. What are you 
hoping for? What are you waiting for that you have no hope that it will come? You see, we've got to remember something that God alone, number two, is in power. God alone is in power. Cyrus, Artaxerxes, these were both kings in Persia. And in the Persian dynasty, they were looked at as divine. They, they weren't God, but they were sent by God. Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, they were in Babylon. And we read in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 30 that Nebuchadnezzar said this, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? It sounds to me like Nebuchadnezzar sort of has a God complex. Nebuchadnezzar had ruled for 43 years, Cyrus for 29 years. In Jude chapter 1 and verse 25, Jude writes this, To the only God and Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forever." more. Amen. The psalmist in Psalm 103, 19 says this, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. These rulers were powerful in their day, but friends, Jehovah God, the Father, and his Son are supreme. Thank you. Did you hear what I said? Jehovah God and his son Jesus Christ, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they are the supreme God, the supreme authority. Can I have somebody say amen? amen. Thank you. So, under whose power are you going to rebuild? Car guys, they've always got a guy. They got a guy. I got a guy. I run into a problem. I got a guy. And that guy comes over after work one night. And that guy helps you through your problem. So you can continue on with the rebuild. I mean, guys, this makes total sense, right? You, you, you got a guy that knows more than you. So on whose power, on whose authority, or under whose power and authority are you going to rebuild? Because number three, you are going to experience opposition. Okay? Car guys experience opposition uh, by things like rusty bolts. Rusty bolts can make a man lose his salvation. Okay? Godly men lose their salvation. They'll tell their children to go in the house. They'll tell their wife to go shopping. And then they get out the torch, okay? And they're going to torch that thing, and they're going to beat that thing until it comes out. But you're going to experience opposition. Someone is going to oppose your rebuilding project. I'm not talking about your kitchen. I'm talking about something in your life. 
someone is going to oppose. In fact, it may be more than one person. You see, they don't want to see you sober. It's the truth. Because misery loves company. They don't want you to rebuild your marriage. In fact, they prefer your finances to be in a shambles because it makes them feel a little bit better about themselves. They're uncomfortable if you become mentally healthy. In fact, they'll try to sabotage this rebuild, and that's exactly what a man named Zerubbabel experienced when the king said, I want you to go and I want you to rebuild the temple. In Ezra chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says, Then the people... These, these are the people of Judah. The people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of, king, uh, of Darius, king of Persia, at the beginning of the reign of Xerxes, they lodged an accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. This took place over a long period of time. This opposition just wasn't one day. It wasn't one occasion, but it was year after year after year. And when we realize that we need to rebuild our lives, it's not going to happen in a day. It's going to take a long time, and then we've got to live it out after it's rebuilt. And there are going to be those that will oppose that rebuild year after year after year. The opposition, it stooped to bribery and accusation. They're going to question your motives. What makes you think you can crawl out of this hole? What makes you think you're so special? They will say things like that to you. Why do you think you can rebuild this aspect of your life? What makes you so special? Who gave you permission and power and authority to do that? In Revelation chapter 12, verses 10, and verse 10, the second half of the verse John the Revelator says that the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night. He's talking about the enemy of our soul. That he stands before God and that he accuses us, followers of Christ, and says, God, do you realize, do you realize what Jessica, do you realize what she's done? God, if you, if you really were paying attention to this, uh, you, you, you'd really have a problem with He literally stands there and he narks on us. That's the word we used as kids. If somebody was a narc, they told on you. The accuser of the brethren. He is literally standing there 
and he wants to use intimidation tactics against us. John chapter 10 and verse 10 says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. In fact, you know what? When you're in the midst of a rebuilding project in your life, the opposition may become so strong that it it temporarily stalls your rebuild out. That's exactly what happened to Zerubbabel. The rebuild process of the temple, and I find this interesting. Let me make a side note here. They got the foundation laid. Oh, man, the foundation is the most important part. Oh, Jesus talks about the foundation when he he tells the story about the house built on the sand versus the house that was built on the rock. We need to build our rebuild on the foundation of Jesus Christ because it never changes because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you. That rebuild, the opposition may become so strong that that it stops the progress. It stopped Zerubbabel's progress for 14 years. They got the foundation laid and they could go no further. Haggai chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. I want you to listen to this. This is God's encouragement through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel. He says, but now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jezodak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is after 14 years of, of the, the rebuild pausing because of the opposition. God is encouraging Zerubbabel. He's reminding Zerubbabel that God has the power to help him rebuild. I remember the words of Joshua when the children of Israel had come out of Egypt and they had wandered the desert and they were so afraid of the giants that lived in the land. We can't really do this. And Joshua said, hey, choose you today whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua was building on the foundation of God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're worried. Maybe you're afraid. Paul says this, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The Greek word for timid there is cowardice or fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You know, the worst part of the rebuild is the beginning. At least that's the way it is for me. When when my wife and I make a decision that we're going to do something, that moment you tear it open, that's the hard part for me because I don't know what I'm going to find. I don't know how bad it's really going to be under there. God says we don't have to be afraid to start on that rebuild in our lives. 
We don't have to be afraid of opposition. We don't have to be afraid of, of failing because fear is not from God. We, we talk about it from time to time, but Jeremiah's words in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Does that sound to you like we should be afraid when God, when God... When we realize and finally get on God's page that it's time for a rebuild in our lives, do you think we need to be afraid? If God is for us, the scripture says, who can be against us? The Bible says that no weapon that's fashioned against you will prosper. God is ready to help us in that rebuild. I'm going to have the worship team come up and we're going to close as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together here. In Ezra chapter 6 and verse 14, we read the culmination of this rebuild project of the temple. It says, So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Edo. They finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. God helped Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. Do you know that Scripture refers to us as the temple of the Holy Spirit? Maybe that temple is broken down in you. Maybe there's some aspect in your life that needs to be rebuilt. What are you looking to rebuild in your life this year? You might be worried about failing. I love the words of author Gina Showalter. She said, giving up is the only sure way to fail. Friends, I want you to know Jesus came that we might have life to the fullest. He came to rebuild us. I'm going to have those that are going to serve communion if they would come forward. Come on, let's stand together, shall we, as we prepare to close our service as they just distribute the elements this morning let's just worship the Lord together and let's just let's just put our trust in him this morning we're going to celebrate in just a moment so Marie would you lead us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper I want to remind you of a couple things one is that you don't have to be a member of Silver Creek Church to participate in the Lord's Supper. Secondly, I want you to know that the elements that you hold in your hands, we call them elements, just the symbolic things, a piece of tasteless, awful cracker and, and juice that's not enough to save you if you were in a desert cannot forgive you of your sins. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And I've got good news for you. He came to rebuild all that's broken down in your 
Jesus said? He said, on the night that he was betrayed, he said, take this bread. It's my body. It represents my body. And it is for you. Jesus went to the cross and gave himself to rebuild us. Father, thank you for the body of Jesus, which was given to us on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And God, I pray for the person that's here today that maybe has never realized that Jesus gave himself to rebuild our brokenness. Father, we thank you for that body of Jesus and we say thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for us. Would you partake of the bread together? Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus shed for the forgiveness of our sins. God, you literally sent your son Jesus to rebuild our spiritual connection to you, the Father, that was broken by sin. You sent Jesus to become sin for us. You sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place. You sent Jesus to shed his blood as a sacrifice for our sin in the hope to rebuild this relationship. Father, I thank you. We thank you for that blood of Jesus shed for the forgiveness of our sin. Would you partake of the cup together? As we close our service, would you bow your heads with me, Father? I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to rebuild our lives. Lord, some of us have been trying to rebuild things on our own strength and our own power. But today you've reminded us that you have the power to rebuild. Father, I pray that today there are some decisions that will be made. God, I need to rebuild some area of my life. But I can't do it on my power. I can't do it on my authority. I can't do it on my ability. I need to do it on the foundation of Jesus Christ. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you if you believe that that's what's happening in your heart right now, if that's a conversation that you're having with God, maybe it even sounds like a conversation with yourself, but you're ready to make that step to rebuild what is broken, not on your strength, but on a foundation of Jesus Christ. If that's what you're going through, I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you before we close. If that's you, just slip up your hand so that I can know. Yes. Yes. Yep, I see hands going up all over the place. Yes, you can put them down. Father, I pray that in 2024, as we get this year underway, 
God, that it's going to be a year of the rebuild. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to happen one brick at a time, one board at a time, one bolt at a time. But God, it starts when we say, God, I'm ready. And you see the hands of these that say, I am ready. I'm ready to build on the foundation of Jesus, a foundation that lasts. Father, we thank you today for all that you're going to do in this new year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for braving the elements today. Hang around for some coffee, some stuff with frosting on it. I don't know what it is, but I know that it'll have sugar in it, which goes really good with coffee. God bless you.